0: On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Opus Private Client Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I'll be your host today. Um, on with me. I'm really excited to have Zamir Upadia and Chris Chambers from Platinum Premier Global Equity. Welcome, guys. How are you today?
2: Doing good. Thanks for having us.
1: Absolutely. So this podcast came in the, in the after a follow-up podcast that we did previously on commercial real estate, and I know what great work you do uh, in this space, and so I wanted to get your take on the markets in general, sort of commercial real estate, what it is that your firm does, and how you're helping folks across the country with uh, investing in, in 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 commercial real estate. So, before we start, just kind of introduce yourselves, tell the audience a little bit about you, a little bit about your firm.
2: Sure. Uh, so, Zamir Padia and my business partner Chris is our CFO. Our company name, I think you already mentioned, Platinum Premier Global Equity. And uh, we're a real estate private equity firm. We're really, we kind of grew out, Yvonne of a financial services practice. Both Chris and I were financial advisors. And as our practice grew, clients started asking us for alternative investments, investments in commercial real estate, primarily multifamily hotels, e-commerce warehouses, the whole spectrum. And so that's, you know, we we kind of fell into it, but also we have a drive to open up unique opportunities in real estate. That often, even if you're high net worth or wealthy, sometimes you don't get access to because they're often, you know, taken up by the institutions. So we really look to change the, the conversation. We're breaking down some of those barriers where, you know, somebody who works hard has built up a portfolio and they want to invest in uh, some real estate that gives them some, some solid returns. That we can open up those doors for them.
1: Great, and so you know, the, the commercial real estate industry has changed dramatically. I would imagine over the last you know, year plus because of COVID, you know, what's your outlook on commercial real estate in general? You know, what do you see in the market? What do you, where do you find there to be opportunities right now?
2: Well, I'll, I'll share a story and I'll, I'll let Chris take that question, but you know, we, Chris and I were talking yesterday, we, we own a hotel in downtown San Antonio. And last March, you know, mid-March, March is always our busiest uh, month for that hotel. San Antonio has something called Fiesta, which is like a, just a big month-long party. And we were doing well through two weeks. And then the last two weeks, March just, we just got crushed. And then April, we were completely shut down. So I remember the team and I, we made a, a very difficult decision to just stop all payments, which is hard, right? Like, I mean, you've got a property and you don't know what the next day is going to bring. But we made that decision at the time just to kind of conserve as much cash as we possibly could. You know, a year later, looking back now, to give you an idea, that hotel, you know, does 100,000, 200,000 a month. That, that month of April, we did less than 18,000. It was catastrophic. It was brutal. To say that I grew extra white hairs on my goatee, there was like many that came. And then we just didn't know when was the end coming? What was gonna happen? And you know, as the year progressed, we had some openings and then we closed again, some openings and closed. But today, and I'll turn it over to Chris to give a little bit more detailed answer, but when we look at the hotel and we see activity, we see our weekends are pretty much sold out now, we see leisure travel travel kicking up. We what we are seeing is some business travel is starting. But most of that, especially convention-related travel, has moved to the end of this year and mostly next year. So we do see things opening up. Those that panicked back you know, early April might have lost their properties or sold their properties, but there were opportunities to grow. And so we, we took that opportunity, to that downtime, to fix up our hotel, get, you know, get it into the best shape, you know, almost like an athlete, get into the best shape of its life with that downtime. So that now as we're opening up, it's, it's growing better. So Chris, I don't know if you want to talk, but I mean, we've talked about kind of the details of what's happening going forward. If you want to talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you look at real estate, to me, real estate is the intersection of people, their passions, their preferences, and their physical spaces. And to me, real estate is always going to be a key component of our economy, of our lifestyles, as long as we're in physical bodies. As long as we are need, to, need protection from the elements, and we need a we need a warm shelter, you know, real estate is always going to be a strong play. So I think as much as changed over the last year, many of those things are still the same. You know what I see in the market right now because of COVID and some of those impacts that people are talking about reshaping the office, and you know maybe industrial doing very strong where people are ordering more often online. So warehouses are, are filling up faster and creating some value there. To me, that's just part of the cycle of what's been occurring over the last maybe five or, or 10 years in some cases. And we're seeing an acceleration of that. But I think real estate remains strong and the fundamentals really remain the same, right? You're creating value for people, you know, to either execute their businesses and, and providing a medium for them to you know, conduct those businesses much easier or you're creating a lifestyle play for them. Whether that lifestyle be in a large city like New York or it's in a, a secondary city that is on the outskirts of a, a place like New York, I think the fundamentals remain the same. Now, what has changed is people's or really the financial institutions outlook, their time horizon and what assets they want to be a part of you know as we know real estate's a very leverage heavy industry in many cases and because of that you have to consider the amount of leverage you can you can build into your capital stack and so banks are not as friendly with some assets you know zameer mentioned our, the hotel fortunately we have a great loan on that property but if you go out today and try to get a, a hotel loan you're you know you're going to have some challenges but if you go out and try to get a multifamily loan you know, you're, you're, you're going to find money being thrown at you. So I think for an investor, there are a lot of opportunities out there still. And and a lot of the fundamentals still remain the same.
1: How is your outlook specifically in a city like New York, you know, Manhattan, the commercial real estate, you know, office space right now, that entire business got flipped on its head, right? I think companies are moving out of places like, Uh, Times Square, right? They're trying to reduce their footprint and they've been doing it slowly for years, but I think COVID accelerated that process, right? You know, the idea of hoteling in an office and not having, you know, offices with pictures of families up, you know, really trying to reduce that footprint. Would you, is that something that you see nationwide or is it mainly in large cities like New York where they're really revisiting the entire idea of having large corporate footprints?
3: So when I think about that, you know, I think about a, a place like New York and I remember and in, 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 I was in school at Penn State University at the time. It was 2001. And, you know, it was, it was 9-11. And I remember watching the television and seeing the planes crash into the World Trade Center. It was, a, it was a terrible moment. And I remember the aftermath, you know, receiving a call from my dad. He was stuck in the subway at the time and he worked in, in Wall Street. And the aftermath of that is that everyone said New York was over. Everyone was going to move out of New York because of fear of terrorism. You know, all the, the office spaces, they moved over to Hoboken, Hoboken. And, you know, the city was absolutely dead. And five years later, it was thriving better than ever before. And yep. I think that cities that have a plan, they're going to be resilient. And so right now we're seeing a lot of cities that are, are, are impacted because of COVID. But, you know, I, I think there's some underlying, stories behind it that aren't being told a lot of these a lot of these companies are moving because their tax bases are, are too high in those locations places like new york have you know it, it's very hard for you to manage your bottom line as a business right now right revenue growth has is is a big stagnant and so you have to control your expenses and one of your largest expense is of course your real estate and your taxes that you pay to the government and, and city you know city officials so I think that a lot of companies are actually managing that. And you can see that because, you know, where I am in Florida and, you know, where our, our headquarters are in Texas, we see a lot of companies actually moving into those locations and setting up new headquarters. So just in my area, Pfizer just took up an entire building and other companies are moving into Texas at, at an, you know, pretty rapid rate. So I really think there's some other dynamics that are happening there. And a city like New York really has to rethink its appeal to business owners is appeal to workers and what's going to allow them to stay there for the long term, because that's really what businesses are looking for. They're looking for workers, a good environment where people are going to want to thrive and the best employees are going to come. Yeah,
1: I I think that's a really good point because we're starting to see, as you mentioned, companies move out of New York and employees you know, since they're working from home, are revisiting their their personal living situation, right? If I don't need to be in the city and be close to work because I need to commute, then I can move to New Jersey, I could move to Westchester, I could move to, you know, out of New York City and not have to pay city income tax, right? Getting a 3% raise on your income just by moving because you don't need to commute anymore, you know, is is a number, and so we're, we're really starting to see people move and change. And, and I think it's, as you said, I think New York, New York in general, or some of these large cities really do need to evaluate what's going on. And with you iva- both be, sorry, go ahead, Samir.
2: Ivan, I wanted to, you know, w- one thing is, you know, the, the movement to, you know, people working virtually, right? I think humans in general, we panic when we get afraid and we're, we, you know, when you can't see the light at the end of, end of the tunnel. You think it's completely changed, right? For us, we have three projects. We invest residential projects. We invested in in Seattle. One's a multifamily. One's a land development that's going to be, you know, a seventeen story, uh, two hundred unit co- condo unit and apartment. And the one's currently a luxury condo building right on the water. Well, Seattle, Amazon's footprint office fo- footprint has not slowed down. Facebook during the during the pandemic. Facebook bought, you know, the outdoor company REI. REI had built a beautiful headquarters in Bellevue, Washington, right? It's outside of Seattle. Facebook bought it. So, you know, if you think about virtual, you typically think tech companies are going virtual and their employees are working from home. That's not necessarily the reality of what happens. Like the, you know, these companies are still buying properties and are having office footprints, but where geographically those offices are now that is changing. Right. So to Chris's point, we are seeing here in Texas, you know, like uh, right now our investments have been in the four major cities of Texas and Seattle, Washington. When you look at Austin, Texas, Austin is short of office space. Apple is building a, a $2 billion campus. Tesla is building a $2 billion campus. And so those there are workers that are going and work at those places. And then think about the companies that have to service those larger entities. They're all gonna need their offices. Okay? We invested in a, in a small office project here outside of Houston in a suburb called Stafford, Texas. And you know, one of the other trends we saw is as people consider where they're living, during the pandemic, people wanted bigger space. So you found, you know, when I was growing up, it was people were moving from the city to the suburbs. Then when I was in college, people were moving from the suburbs to the cities. The pandemic forced people to kind of do the opposite, right? People moved back to the suburbs. So office space in those suburban areas are actually high in demand. When you look at occupancies of office space in the suburbs compared to the cities, that's changing. And just the last point, you know, I'll share with you there is I I think cities have to really look at how they are able to keep companies and employees. To me, New York is resilient. New York is always New York. New York will come back. Jamie Dimon, you know, JP Morgan Chase said all employees are back in July, no matter how much we do virtually, the best idea creation, the best growth, the best team building still happens in person. So I don't, I'm, I have not bought into the fact that when we talk about office space specific, that it's gone, it's going to change. The footprint will be less in some geographic areas, but it'll be taken up in other parts of the, uh, the country.
1: Yeah, I cu- I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, just walk walking through a little bit about your thought process and where you you guys pick the locations for your businesses. It seems like you're taking into account again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're taking into account taxes, right? You're taking into account from from a state from a or from a state perspective, taking into account what kind of companies are buying in those particular areas and then where are people moving is that sort of the the main criteria of of where you start to look for locations
3: i'll say the movement of people would probably be the most important thing because you know you you at the end of the day real estate is about people right and if you follow where the people are going that's where the opportunities are going to be and the companies are also going to follow the people or vice versa, you know, chicken before the egg. I'm not sure which 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 one is driving which. But if you have an area that has a, a strong, for instance, a strong technology base and startup companies, companies are going to be attracted to those areas just because of that culture and vice versa. Once those companies start coming in, more people are going to begin moving. So one of the key indicators that we look at are the uh, population growths of the area, the income growths of, of, of those communities, as well as the type of employers that are are, are, are moving into those those areas. You know, we'll, we'll spend a lot of times on the, the labor statistics and tracking those movements and looking at the type of jobs that are being created because some communities create jobs, but they're not the highest quality jobs. And they don't support the type of real estate that can come into those communities so those are things that we consider and a second thing that we look at outside of that is you know how friendly are the governments of of those areas right if you have a city that is very anti-development anti-new housing you know it makes it very very difficult to create a great community for for the residents in in that in that area you know we have a project that we're working on right now that you know, we've been working on permitting for this project for three years. Absolutely great project, beautiful plot of land, but there's a lot that you have to work through. And that's part of the value that we, we help to bring to our investors is that we understand how to navigate those, 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 those segments of, of government and how to get things done. But if we were in a, a place like Houston with the project, you know, six months and, and we're already building the project. And so I think that's a that's a big variable that a lot of people don't consider when they look at their projects.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a huge advantage, right, of of investing in a fund versus, you know, buying commercial real estate on on one's own. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I have conversations with clients frequently about owning real estate, owning you know commercial real estate, whether it be a multifamily or trying to buy, you know, an office building. And, you know, do you actually want to be a landlord? And all of the things right. that go into it, do you want to have to deal with the city? Do you want to have to deal with the state? You know, Are you prepared to, to, to fund the property if you can't find a tenant for X period of time? I mean I think there are so many advantages of utilizing a, a private equity firm like yourself to be able to do that. And you've already touched on some. Are there, are there any other advantages that you can think of where somebody should take a look at something like like what you've set up? Yeah,
3: you know, one of the reasons – Commercial – Oh, so Desi.
2: Well, I I, th- I think you know I'll, I'll just give real life examples. Like one of our one of our bigger investors, he owns a couple of properties in in Brooklyn, and he'd had them for a while. And frankly, he just got fed up. He got tired of you know dealing with. At first, he was kind of managing it himself with one assistant. Then he had a property management company. It wasn't you know going to his his liking. And then obviously you know he had some there was some rent control. So there's a lot of things that were on his plate and he's a busy professional and he reached a point where he said you know what am i really making the type of return for the amount of work i'm putting in right so he's a a very successful physician you know if he spent that same amount of time working on his craft and continuing that but invested somewhere else now that comes at a cost right so you lose a little bit of control you're working with you know your your the team that you pick. But that's what we found. We found that people that want to have an interest in real estate don't have the time to do it themselves. They come to us or companies like us.
1: It's funny because I, you know, I I often hear, well, you know, real estate is is a passive investment. And I always laugh, you know, because, you know, real estate is, is far from a passive investment. Having to deal with tenants, having to deal with taxes, having to deal with, you know, things breaking, repairs, even if you have a management company, it is not a passive investment by any stretch. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are, but again, I just kind of chuckle to myself, you know, really having a deep conversation with folks on whether or not they truly want to have that experience or that as part of their portfolio, or again, do they want to leverage a fund?
3: You know, a lot of people don't think about all those ins and outs, right? You even have, you have the legal component, you have to think about your taxation, you have to think about, you know, what's happening in the community. And I can't tell you how many people that we work with now that, you know, were investing on their own and they just got overwhelmed. You know, you have a job, maybe you're a physician and you're working, you know, 80 hours a week. You can't, you know, be on be on call for any issues that pop up or, you know, just seeing what's happening in your community, you might not be able to be on top of it. It's very, very, very difficult if it's not your main focus. So I, I think that's a that's a very, very major big value that we bring to the table, as well as information asymmetry. We work across the country and we work with people from around the globe. And one of the, one of the values is that we have deep roots in a lot of communities across across our country. And real estate at the end of the day is a very localized product. The more you understand about the community, the more value you can create. Right now we're working on a project in San Antonio. It's a, it's a medical office project that you know, I truly believe that we're the only ones that can create this amount of value from the project. We understand and have a, a deep insights into the new buildings that are coming into the community that some, an outsider would never know, right? There's, a, there's some major developments coming into the area and our project is gonna be able to create some significant returns because we have that level of information and knowledge that would not be available to the everyday person. So if this was a stock market, you know, we'd be doing insider trading right? But for us, you know, that's the name of the game in, in real estate and working with a firm that has that understanding is, is pretty critical.
2: I think, Yvonne, what, what, what happens there is for that particular example Chris, Chris just shared, right? So we're big on the healthcare space. So we talk about investments in real estate, the pandemic, what happened. Well, really, there are two, three areas that just kind of grew. Healthcare did exceptionally well, right? E-commerce space, and we can talk about that too, did, did well or is doing well. And even multifamily continued to do well because even with, you know, rents being, you know, people didn't have to pay rents for a while and some cities still don't have to pay rent. You know, you still need a place to, to live. But that medical office, as an example, it's a surgeon that's been a longtime friend of mine. She and her uh, business partner, they built a surgery center and they owned the land across the street. They wanted to develop it but they recognized that they did not have the bandwidth to do it. They also wanted to spread their risk. They were willing to put some capital towards it, but they wanted other partners. And so they approached us and said, hey, you know, you've seen what we've done. Do you think there's an opportunity here? And we looked at it we said, yeah, this is a great part of town. It's on the south side of San Antonio that's growing. And why not? So, you know, sometimes you know that old saying that, was it 100% of nothing is still nothing? but 5% of something is better, right? So to me, it's that, it's that mindset. You, you gotta get to the point where you, you say to yourself, look, I can't do it all. And we all have that. We all think we can do everything, but we can't. That's the reality, you know? Like when we started this business five years ago, we had to say, hey, we are not gonna be able to take on any more clients for our wealth management business. And we were very upfront with all of our clients. We said, hey, we're not gonna be doing this anymore. And this is our core focus. Um, because you can't, you, you know, you can't, you can't do everything for for everyone. And Ivan, I just wanted one more thing. Chris was mentioning about where we look to invest and where we look for real estate. I think you'd ask a good question there. You know, I want to make clarify something. We're not anti-government, right? So we are looking for because I think people get this idea that you know developers are the bad guys or investors are the bad guys. You know, and and there are some. There are some that are out there and that are unscrupulous and are just looking for the last dollar. But there's those, and I'll, I'm honored, I'm proud to say that we're one of those companies where when we look to invest, we genuinely wanna improve the communities we're in. It's not just about making the next buck or gentrification or whatnot. Like that project Chris mentioned is in Seattle. It's, it, it is in an area of town that is culturally sensitive. And so while that project is taking longer than it would say here in Houston, We are comfortable with that because one, financially the opportunity is there, but two, it makes sense for that community for us to take that time to understand their needs, what they need, so that we're partners in the development of that community versus antagonists in that community. And the, the final thing I wanted to tell you was jobs, right? So Chris said, you know, what is it that we look at? For me, it's very simple, Ivan, you know me. Chris and I, Chris grew up in, you know, Brooklyn I grew up in the not-so-nice side of Miami and You know know that I've been fortunate blessed to travel the world and I've met people from all walks of life I have found one common thread Everybody wants to have the ability to provide and so to me, it's very simple if I see a lot of jobs going somewhere That means they need a place to sleep to sleep They're gonna need a place to eat a place to work out a place to do a multitude of things And that all gets back to quality real estate.
1: I think, you know, one of the things I'm really getting from this conversation that's super refreshing from you both is how you view community and people as part of real estate. Right. You know, I think most people think that commercial real estate is just an equation. But for you both and for your firm, it's 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 obvious to me that it's much more than that you know, which is really, really refreshing. And, and I appreciate y- your take on it. You know, again, the financial aspect will always be there, or is there as you guys, you know, continue to do what you're doing. But building community is something that I have a passion for. And I, and I love your take on it. So but before we wrap up, is there one thing that you want to make sure that the audience takes away from this conversation? Is there one thing that you want to make sure that they get from from our talk today?
3: You know, I, I love real estate. I've always loved real estate. I remember being a a young kid in Brooklyn, New York, and looking around at all their properties, and I just had a keen awareness that the person or the people who had an influence and an impact on the real estate in the community had an impact on not only the jobs, but also the pride and the sense of community. One of the things that always troubled me was the lack of access that my family had to some of those opportunities in in real estate, and that's That's really what drove us to to start this business, and you know, we really wanted to create those opportunities. You know, for us, I think it's important for people to understand where real estate fits into their portfolio overall. To me, it's a it's a great segment of your overall you know overall picture. It doesn't have to be your entire portfolio. For some people, it is, but it doesn't have to be. I think it works very well as a as a as a slice a, a pie in your in your overall you know allocation that you think about as an offset to some of those other pieces so for instance you know real estate tends to be very resilient some real estate assets tend to be very resilient in recessions some of them do very well in inflationary periods so you know if you think about real estate as a part of your overall portfolio i think there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity You know, if you're in a market like New York, your dollars can go very far in other parts of of the country. But, of course, you're going to need to work with a sponsor or an equity group that has that awareness and that knowledge of what's going on in that community. But I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity and, you know, treating it as an investment where you don't have to be hands on. You can come in as a limited partner or uh, through some other vehicle. I think really works in investors favor and, and, and you were seeing a, a you know, a, a, a proliferation of different vehicles being created and, and different access being created by the government right now. And I think they understand that, you know, private individuals are going to be the ones that are going to drive the future of real estate and the fi- future of this country. And they're really trying to get behind that and partner with them in many ways to, to create that. So, you know, again, you know, real estate as part of a portfolio, I think is a very sensible approach. And you know, doing that through a sponsor is probably the easiest way to to accomplish it.
2: Ivan, I think what I, what I, what I would say, and and just kind of leave with the with with your with your audience is, if you have an interest in real estate, you know, really think about whether it's passive or not. Right. I think there's you know, especially in a in a TikTok Instagram story world, we get you know, sometimes we can get bombarded with hey, flip your house, do this, do that. But, you know, it's, it's like a job, man. I mean, you know, you're going to put in hours. You know, n- nothing like that just comes. That's not, that's not considered a passive investment, right? If you have the time, you have the desire, and you want to take that risk, hey, listen, you know what? Make sure you've done your research and give it a shot. As far as if you want to invest but, you know, you don't want to be that involved, you know, I think there are many options out there. You know, you could start with a company like Fundrise, which is, I think they have a $500 minimum. It's almost like uh, they, they have a REIT, a real estate investment trust, and they have liquidity. You can do mutual funds. There's, there's many ways to do it. I don't believe anybody's portfolio should be, you know, all in one bucket. I think real estate should be one component. But what we have found for us, for the investors that like working with our group, you know, we're, we're a team of now about eight. And, you know, we have, and then we have many more contractors outside of that to take care of the properties and whatnot. But people like investing with us because they get access to us. But I think just as much is they find that they're a part of the project, right? They're not disconnected. It's not just in some mutual fund. It's not just in some stock somewhere. It's an investment in something that is actually happening. So like that hotel that we mentioned in downtown San Antonio, that was a drug prostitute hotel. It was a eyesore on the community. We took it over, shut it down, bumped like, you know, almost $3 million into it to renovate it and turned it into something that is now much nicer in the community and a serviceable hotel. So I think our investors, and let me tell you one, one last thing. The reason that matters is we have not given the investors a return on that during the pandemic because we couldn't. But investors were understanding, supportive. And now that we're on back, back on track, we'll be, you know, at some point, either late this year or early next year, those investors will get their return. But because they felt a connection to that investment, it mattered.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, where can, where can the audience find out more about you guys and more about the firm?
2: So our website is uh, Equity with a y.com if anybody reaches out to you you can just give them you know both chris and i personal information and we're happy to chat with anybody
1: absolutely well i appreciate you both for coming on i know this was super valuable for the audience thank you both so much and i hope to get to see you and give you a big hug in person soon
2: soon at an office in new york it's happening <laughs> <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely well and thank and thank you to the listening audience for tuning in Uh, please click subscribe below to hear and be announced when we have future podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.
4: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise regarding real estate or commercial real estate. Yvonne Watanabe, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Yvonne Wantanabe is a financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Compliance Approval 2021-121894 expires May of 2023.